Well, this morning, if you have a Bible with you, I would like you to turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. And if you would, I'm going to just have you hold your place there. As I mentioned a couple of things before we actually get into the message this morning. First of all, um, as many of you know who attend here on a regular basis, I ended uh, about a year and a half study in the book of Ephesians back in September. So this November and December, we're going to focus on Thanksgiving this month, Christmas next month, and then in January. In in January, I'm going to begin a new sermon series. I'm going to preach through the Gospel of John. I'm going to go back to one of the Gospels, looking at the life and work of Jesus. Now, as you may know, the Gospel of John is a long book. And so I'm going to return to a format that I've used in the past. And that is I'm going to be preaching through the Gospel of John morning and evening. Just so it doesn't take me forever. Um, so, so we'll go morning and evening, and of course, we'll have some natural breaks in there. Um, we'll have the missions conference, uh, Easter, uh, missionaries who will come from time to time, but that will be the pattern for the next year or more as we look and work through the gospel of John together this month, November, this Thanksgiving season, I want to do something just a little different. And that is all month long, I'm going to focus on one attribute of God. Just one for the whole month. And the attribute that I have chosen is the mercy of God. We're going to spend the whole month just being thankful for God's mercy. The only reason that you are here today. The only reason you have salvation in Christ. The only reason we are able to live out the Christian life day by day is because we serve a merciful God. He constantly shows us his mercy moment by moment, day by day. The working definition that I'm going to use for this month, there are a number of angles this could be looked at from other definitions that could be used, but the working definition that I'm going to use for this month comes from R.C. Sproul, and he describes God's mercy this way. Mercy is an unexpected love and generosity that cannot be showered upon us as something owed because mercy that is owed is not mercy, but obligation. It can be given only to those in a desperate situation who cannot help themselves and lack the capacity to earn or pay it back. And there is no better way to describe our situation apart from Christ than utterly and hopelessly desperate. It is that middle sentence that I really want us to focus on for the entire month. God's mercy can be given only to those in a desperate situation who cannot help themselves and lack the capacity or capability, I should say, to earn or pay it back. God looks at us in our lost and sinful condition, and he has pity on us and showers us with his love and his grace and his kindness because he is a merciful 
God. He is a God of constant mercy toward us. The passage, the key passage from the New Testament that I want to emphasize each time is Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And of course, we looked at this passage when I preached through the book of Ephesians. God is rich and mercy. And when we were dead, dead in our sins, he made us alive together with Christ. The first account that I want to use as we look at the mercy of God this month is the famous account of the thief on the cross. In Luke chapter 23... I want to read for you verses 32 and 33 and then drop down to our main passage, verses 39 through 43. In verses 32 and 33, we read, Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Now, verse 39, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he, Jesus, said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Well, our first point is the thief on the cross and God's mercy. There are a number of powerful lessons in this account. One of them is this. There are no good works, even biblically commanded works, that can save us from our sin. Not even biblically commanded good works can save you from your sin. Last Sunday night, we had 16 people join our church, become members of our church. And each of them shared their salvation testimony how they came to know Christ as their Savior. And when we work with them in the classes and in personal interviews, especially those who are going to be baptized, we emphasize to them that baptism is an important command of Scripture and an important step of obedience. But baptism is not necessary for your salvation. We emphasize to each and every one of them that if you die before you are baptized, you will still go to heaven because your salvation is based on trusting in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection alone for your salvation. Now that can be said not only of baptism. It can be said of the Lord's Supper. 
It can be said of church attendance. It can be said of reading the Bible. It can be said of prayer. It can be said of good deeds or good works. None of those things, as important as they are, and don't misunderstand me, those things are very important, biblically commanded. They are the evidence that we are truly saved, but none of them add anything to your salvation. The dying thief on the cross was promised by Jesus. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Why? Because the dying thief on the cross expressed deep repentance and childlike faith in Christ. A childlike faith and confidence in Christ and in him alone. It's a remarkable passage. This thief saw Jesus in his weakest moment. Here he was, crucified, bloodied, severely beaten, gasping for breath. People were mocking him and jeering at him. And yet this man looked at Jesus and he saw his Savior. He saw Jesus as he truly was. He saw a king. He saw a king who was going to rule and reign over a kingdom. And he trusted him as savior. It has been said that it was a crucified sinner placing his trust in a crucified savior. And so Jesus says to him, today, you will be with me in paradise. And I just want you to think about that with me this morning. The man would die that day. He would go to heaven without ever doing any good works. It is a reminder to all of us that salvation comes by faith alone in the death and resurrection of Christ plus nothing. The thief on the cross was not baptized. The thief on the cross never celebrated the Lord's Supper. He never went to church. He never read his Bible and he never prayed. As important as all of those things are. Because salvation is found by receiving Christ as your Savior. And trusting in his death and resurrection alone plus nothing for your salvation. A second lesson that is found in this account. It is possible by the mercy of God for a person to make a decision for Christ right before he dies. There will always be some controversy surrounding deathbed conversions. That person who claims to receive Christ right before they die in the hospital bed, in the, in the bed at home or wherever they may happen to be. And I am asked on occasion, do you think deathbed conversions are genuine? And I think the correct answer is some are and some aren't, but only God knows. But I will say this to you, I would never, ever deny a person an opportunity to make a decision for Christ. If they want to make that decision right before they die, you give them, absolutely you give them that opportunity. But this passage teaches us that it is possible 
It is possible for a person to come to know Christ genuinely as Savior right before they die. As they are haunted by their own death. As they are haunted by the judgment to come. As they are haunted by the sin that they look back on in their own life. It is possible for them to come to a true saving faith in Christ right before they die. Which reminds every one of us, how long do we pray for our unsaved loved ones? We never stop. We pray until we die or until they die. Because it is always possible. Well, our second point this morning is the thief on the cross and the precious promise of Scripture. There is embedded in this passage a very, very important promise for every single one of us who know Christ as Savior. However, there's one thing I want to mention before we get there so we don't misunderstand this passage. We also learn a lesson from the other criminal, the other thief. In verses 39 through 41, It says, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. The other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. The other thief reminds us That some people will remain stubborn and unrepentant even when they know they are about to die. Some people will remain stubborn and unrepentant even even when they know they are about to die. Here is a man in the process of dying. He's suffering terrible pain and agony and all he can do is mock Jesus. The heart of the other thief remained cold and hard and indifferent right up until the moment he died. And so I don't want you to look at this passage today and think, oh, I got a lot of time. I'll just wait till I die. Then I'll, then I'll trust Christ as Savior. I'll live any way I want now, and then someday I'll trust him. Oh, don't ever think that. Because you don't know. The more you put him off and the more you put him off, And the more you put him off, your heart may grow cold and indifferent and hard. And you may not be willing to repent and believe even on your own deathbed. The Bible says very clearly the day of salvation is today. The day to come to Christ is today. It is right now is always the time to come to Jesus. But there is a very special promise in this passage. Jesus' statement, Today you will be with me in paradise, is one of the most precious promises in all of Scripture. As I was reading through some of R.C. Sproul's material on this passage, he calls this one of the greatest promises in all of the Bible. In all of the Bible. Today, Jesus says to this thief next to him. And this thief acknowledged that Jesus was completely innocent, that he had done nothing wrong. And he says to him, 
to Jesus. Remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. That is a reminder. The way we express our need for salvation may be different. There is no one right prayer or right way to say it. This is a salvation prayer right here. Remember me. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says to him, truly, truthfully, I say to you today, this very day, this very day, you will be with me. You will be with me in paradise. This man who had lived a sinful life, who was being crucified for great crimes he had committed against the Roman Empire. And Jesus says to him, today you will be with me in heaven. Let us be reminded, when a Christian dies, he goes immediately into the presence of Jesus. He doesn't go into a state of limbo. He doesn't go into a state of soul sleep. He doesn't go to some kind of divine waiting room. And he doesn't go to purgatory. He goes to heaven. He goes into the presence of the Lord. We think of 2 Corinthians 5, verses 6 through 8, that great passage on this subject. It's not on the screen, but let me just read it for you. The Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Or we think of the famous King James rendering of verse 8. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Oh, that phrase, that thought, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. We could not possibly even count how precious that statement has been to thousands if not millions of dying believers over the centuries. And not only to those dying believers, but also to their families. And it all comes back. It all comes back to the importance of the cross. Salvation comes by faith alone in the death and resurrection of Christ plus nothing. At this time, with those thoughts in mind, we will share the Lord's Supper together.